good morning. Trust you're having a good week. God is good all the time. He really is. He really is so good. Well, as you know, by now we are in this series of messages that we're calling Walking Through the Gospel of John. And uh, today I'm going to preach a message that we're going to call Step Out of Stuck. Step Out of Stuck. And I'm sure at some point in all of our lives, we've been stuck. You've experienced being stuck at some point in your life. We get stuck in traffic on the way home from work. We get stuck on the phone in endless queues listening to a nice lady tell us that our call is important. And then you get, you get this mind-numbing music that you've got to listen to for hours. We get stuck. Well, we were stuck earlier this year on an airport runway trying to get home from holiday. And, you know, you could sense the tension in the plane as the plane was just standing on that runway. Everybody wanted to leave where that plane was stationed at. We were stuck. We couldn't go anywhere. And we were just there boiling, like boiling sardines in a tin, stuck, unable to move. All of us have experienced being stuck at some point in our lives, stationary at a point that we want to move on from. As I was preparing this message, I remember I was thinking back of a time when I got stuck up to my waist in a swamp. We'd gone to this swamp, me and my friends, and you know, they dared me to try and run across the swamp. So foolishly, I thought, I'll do this. I'll be able to run across this swamp easily. So at full speed, I ran toward the swamp to the, to the chants and the cheers of my friends who stood on the sideline. Go on, Eddie! That's what they used to call me, Eddie. My surname is Edwards. Eddie, you can do it. And I ran towards this swamp at full speed, only to quickly discover that I started to sink as soon as my little feet began to hit that swamp. Within seconds, I was up to my knees, and then within moments, I was up to my waist, and then I started to panic. I was panicking big time as my waist was in that swamp because now I was unable to move, unable to do anything to remove myself from that swamp. Seeing this, my friends literally... Half of them were on the floor laughing uncontrollably. We knew you couldn't do it. Why didn't you tell me that before I, before I attempted it? Laughing uncontrollably. And then seeing my panic, eventually they began to pull me out of what I was stuck in. All of us at some point in our lives have been stuck. And when I thought about being stuck in that swamp, I thought, you know what? That's, that situation is not too dissimilar to what happens sometimes in life. Because sometimes, just like getting stuck in a swamp, we can get stuck in life circumstances. We can get stuck 
in life conditions that are bigger and beyond our ability to contend with. We can get stuck for years in mental swamps. We can get stuck in fear and insecurity. I can tell you from personal experience, I've not only been stuck in a swamp up to my waist, unable to move. Sometimes for years I've been stuck in moments and seasons of fear, crippled by life, crippled by circumstance. And I'm a pastor. I mean, my God, you'd think that a pastor would be big enough to deal with fear. You'd you'd think somebody that's got the title of pastor would be big enough to get through life's swamps. But I'm here to tell you that pastors are just like anybody else. They eat their food the same. They go to the toilet the same as everybody else. They have to deal with life just like you have to deal with life. And there has been times in my life, lots of times, where the swamp of circumstance and the bog of fear and insecurity and worry and anxiety have had a crippling effect on my life. Stuck, unable to move. You may be stuck today in a, in a swamp or a circumstance that's very stressful. Stuck, unable to move in your workplace because of the the strife and the stress that's weighing you down. What was easy once has now become hard. It's become slow to move. What What was prospering and abundant is now heavy and difficult and hard to get beyond. And it seems far outside of your control to deal with. The more steps that you take to get out of what you're stuck in, the deeper you sink down and the more difficult that it becomes. This morning, we're going to look at a man who John brings before us in John chapter 5. And this man, as we'll see, was stuck Unable to move. Stuck in a circumstance, a crippling circumstance that bound his body for 38 long years. And he was in a hopeless place because he had no personal strength or anyone to help him to move beyond what bound him. Let's read from John chapter 5 to see how Jesus saw this man and called him on this day to step out of what he had been stuck in for 38 years. Listen to John, just as we begin, listen to John chapter 5. We'll read from verse 1 through to verse 3 and then on to verse 5. It says this, this is how John begins, sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, before we read on in this chapter, John here is showing us clearly that this man who had been situated at this pool at Bethesda had been there stationary for 38 years. He was unable to move from where he was. He was bound. He'd been left alone. He had no help from anyone else he was stuck in a place of life that he had no power to move beyond. He was unable to bring change, unable to move beyond where he was put. And as John writes about this awful man's condition, as we've read, he also tells us that on this day, Jesus went to Jerusalem to a city that was celebrating, to a city that was full of festivity. It was one of their annual feasts, and hundreds of Jews had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness, to celebrate God's faithfulness to them. And the sound of singing would have filled the air as people celebrated all across the city en masse. The whole city was alive and awake with the sound of joy breaking out everywhere. It was a sound of celebration, a sound of rejoicing, a sound of singing from the heart of God's people. And if we'd have gone to Jerusalem on that day looking for Jesus, we probably would have thought that we might find Him in the temple because that was the center of the activity. That was the center of celebration within the city. Surely Jesus would be in the temple on a day like this. Or if He were not at the temple, Surely, he would be at the center of some large crowd, sharing in the joy, sharing in the festive spirit, laughing, rejoicing with everyone else. But instead of being in the center of the city, instead of being in the temple, Instead of being at the center of the party in the many homes around that vicinity, Jesus was in Bethesda. He wasn't at the center of the crowd on this day. He wasn't in the temple. Jesus instead went to Bethesda. The very place that everyone stayed away from. The very place 
where the weak were. The very place where the lonely and the abandoned were. That's where Jesus was on this particular day. And he didn't just stumble on Bethesda in, you know, accidentally. He went there by intention. He went there by purpose and by the plan of God, as we'll see. Jesus was attracted to the weak. He was attracted to the abandoned. He was attracted to the ones that had no hope, who were left by others. Don't you find encouragement in that? Within your own story of life, He'll never leave us, He says. He'll never forsake us. Irrespective of what happens in our lives, irrespective of if people leave you, if people abandon you, if life gives up on you, Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And on this day, he goes to this place where the weak had been placed, where the abandoned lay. Bethesda was the place where you got put when your friends and family had given up on you. It was nothing more than a human rubbish dump where all of life's rejects lived together. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed were all dumped and thrown there at Bethesda. And though the city of Jerusalem may have been alive on this day with great festivity and the sound of joyful singing and celebration, there was never any such sound in Bethesda. Bethesda never had a joyful sound in its environment. The sound of Bethesda was the sound of resentment and anger. The sound of sickness and pain. The sound of regret and remorse and confusion. And living in Bethesda meant that you were continually exposed that sound of life breaking down and the rancid smell of flesh perishing. But this is where Jesus went. This is where he chose to go on this day. And whilst there, as John records, he sees this man laying there helpless paralyzed on the floor, unable to move. Now, what's strange about, about this whole episode and about the name Bethesda is that it actually means house of mercy. And when people would have initially heard that name, Bethesda, if they were suffering, it would have awoken a hope of expectation within them. If you were sick and infirmed, it's mercy that you need. So Bethesda, the house of mercy, would have sounded like a good place to go. If you were desperate, if you were in need, if you were abandoned and your family had given up on you and you had no friends, surely Bethesda, the house of mercy, Mercy 
is the place to head to. The name suggests that it would be a place of refuge, a place of help, a place of comfort where you could find relief and wholeness again for your life. But there was no mercy in Bethesda, no mercy at all, because the man that Jesus found lying on the floor had been living there, paralyzed for years in this so-called house of mercy. And he was no nearer that day to finding or receiving help and mercy for his life than the day when he'd first arrived. This wasn't a house of mercy. It was a house of misery. It was a house of pain that never fulfills the name in which it has. But on this day, grace and truth walked into this house of misery. Do you remember in John chapter 1, John in this wonderful chapter recalls seeing Jesus move so wonderfully in people's lives. And you'll read it in John chapter 1. If you, if you read the chapter again, he said, we beheld His glory. We beheld it. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean glowing so everybody can admire you. Glowing with a light around you and a halo above your head and offering a holy pose like no, that's not what John was talking about when he said, we beheld His glory. Now, the glory that John was talking about was a very practical, demonstrable glory that got right down into the roots of people's lives and changed them forever. This glory couldn't walk past a sick person without healing it. This, this glory couldn't walk past a need without meeting it. This glory that Jesus exuded as the Word made flesh came down into the nitty, gritty, dusty roads of life. And wherever He met people, He extended the glory and the fullness of God to heal them, to lift them, to deliver them, to save them, to make them brand new. He said, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. And then He said this, full of grace and truth. Grace came into this house of mis misery. Grace and mercy came in the person of Jesus Christ to meet this man. And that's where the man's life completely turns around. Listen to John chapter 5, verse 6. It says this, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? You want to get well. Now, think about that question that Jesus asks this man that is lying on the floor before him for a moment. 
Because this question is a soul-searching question that Jesus asks this man. The man had been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And initially, it sounds like a ridiculous question. Initially, it sounds like a, like a cold, abrupt, critical question. And if anyone, was, anyone else was asking this question other than Jesus, it could be viewed in such a way. But Jesus sent to heal, sent to serve, sent to deliver, doesn't ask this question to this man coldly or critically or condemningly. This is perfect love, asking such a question. And John writes it down as Jesus spoke it out. When God asks us an obvious question, it's usually because things are not so obvious to us. When God asks us an obvious question, it's usually that things that are not so obvious to us are at work within us. Another obvious question, when God entered the garden one day and said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where Adam was. He's omniscient. He knows everything. This wasn't about God finding Adam. This was about Adam finding out where, he'd, where, where he was. An obvious question, a soul-searching question for Adam now to acknowledge that he disobeyed God and was hiding from the one that loved him. This question to this man on this day was a loving question, an obvious question that Jesus was asking this man to think about. To understand, do you want to get well? Things beyond the surface were lurking within this man that Jesus wanted him to understand. Maybe the man had resigned himself to just finally giving up. Do you know, I've been here for 38 years. I've tried all that I can do in my own strength, under my own power. I've not only tried myself to change and, 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 and to get to the pool to be healed, I've also relied on others. But this situation is bigger than my ability to contend with. Maybe he'd just given up after 38 years. Maybe he'd just lost hope. Abandoned, left alone, no hope, in a hopeless condition. But Jesus 
had come to change all that. This day was a day where Jesus was going to renew this man's life in a way that he could not even imagine. When Jesus asks the question, do you want to get well? It's interesting that the man doesn't respond by saying, yes, of course I want to get well. I've been here for 38 years, lame, paralyzed, nobody to help me. He doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. Immediately begins to look away from himself and point out that there's no outside help to aid him. Verse 7. The man says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. Into the pool, when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Year after year, this man just struggled. Year after year, he fought against his paralysis. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to visualize the, the, the hopeless condition that this man was in and his, his futile attempts to try to get to the pool. He'd get up only to fall back down again. And every time he would move, he would fall back to the place where he started from. There was no progress, no advance, everything would always re relapse back to his, his paralysis and the power that held him that he could not break free from. His life couldn't change. He was completely helpless with no people around him, nobody to help him. And to some degree, all of us at times have felt those moments where life is bigger than our ability to contend with. And we felt that hopelessness about bringing change in areas of our life that we so want change in. We look at other people. We hear the joyful sound in their homes, in their hearts. And we hear a world just like this man did all around us celebrating, everything's going well, everything is in order, and we lay lame in areas of our life, almost like our life is stationary, unable to move beyond the paralysis that holds us under its power. Oh, we may not be lame physically, but there have been times and occasions in all of our life where we've been gripped by things that are, bigger than, that are bigger than our ability to break free of. And that's where this man was, unable to move. There was a city all around him moving, celebrating, enjoying life. And yet he was stationary, trying to get out from where he was. 
but unable to go anywhere. John used the miracles that Jesus did to convey a message that lives beyond the moment of the miracle. That's quite amazing. John used every miracle that Jesus did, and he, he particularly singled out certain miracles that Jesus did because his intention was to reveal that the miracle had a message in it that lives beyond the moment that the miracle took place. And the message is about Jesus Christ, who He is, what He can do, and His relevance to every moment of our lives. And the one main message from this miracle about Jesus is that He's our Savior. He's our Deliverer. He's the one that can break us free from any power that would seek to hold us back, from any power that would seek to bind us and stop us progressing in His life and moving forward. This man couldn't get to Jesus, but that didn't stop Jesus getting to him. And John wants us to see that. Irrespective of our life circumstance, irrespective of the questions that hang over our future, irrespective of the conclusions that we've come to about our life that says, oh, do you know what? My future's just going to be a repeat of my history. Well, that would be true if Christ wasn't the center of your life. But just hang about a bit because your life is not going to be a repeat of your history. Your, your future is going to be glorious and God-filled, and you're going to be amazed at what God does with your life, because your life is not your own. It's been purchased, not with silver and gold, but with the very blood of Jesus. And because He's, he's put blood on your life and paid in full your debt, your life will be glorious, and it will be everything that God has destined it to become. This man couldn't get to Jesus in and of himself, but that did not stop Jesus getting to him. And this picture, this picture has many things to say to us prophetically. It all points to how Jesus came to us when we were in our helpless state dead in our sins, unable to make a move towards God. It was then when we were helpless, when we had no ability in and of ourselves to come to God. It was then at that moment that Jesus Christ rescued us. You know, there's a popular saying among people, and you may have heard it, God helps those who help themselves. We've all heard that saying, God helps those who helps themselves. And what's being said in that saying is, just do all you can. Do your best, and God will meet you halfway and make up the difference. But nowhere in the Bible do we find such thinking. In fact, the Bible teaches the very opposite. The Bible teaches over and over again that God helps those who cannot 
help themselves. Romans 5, verse 6, Paul writes, at just the right time, when we were still powerless and helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. One man once said this, when I first became a Christian, I thought, well, this is easy. He said, a few years went by, and then he said, I came to the conclusion that being a Christian was hard. And then he said, a few, year, few more years went by, and then he said, I came to the conclusion that the Christian life was completely impossible. It is. Being a Christian is absolutely impossible. That's why it's a miracle. That's why you need Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who lives inside of you. Hallelujah. You're the very temple of the Holy Ghost. The Christian life outside of Christ is completely impossible. Impossible. But He makes the, impo the impossible possible because He comes Himself to live on the inside of us and make all things new. While we were still helpless, helpless, Christ died for us. Jesus Himself in Mark chapter 2, verse 17 said this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, He found us in our sin. We were dead in it, helpless, powerless, unable to move, lame, like a paralyzed person, held by a power that was bigger than our own. And He came to us, and He lifted us up. And He saved us. That's the picture that John is presenting as he recalls and recounts this moment when Jesus came to this lame man who had been left alone with life's issues that were bigger than him and beyond his ability to deal with. Do you have a life issue that's bigger than your ability to deal with today? Do you have a, a problem that you feel stuck in, unable to move beyond? It could be anything. Wait a little while. Wait a little while. It's caused you pain. It's caused you suffering. You've found no relief. Or you've You've gone here, there, and everywhere to find solution because this world is full of Bethesdas with its pools that promise relief, that promise aid, that promise a miracle cure. But the pool that this man lived around and the myth that they all bought into was nothing more than superstition and an urban legend. 
because they believed those that gathered around Bethesda, they believed that once a year or a few times a year, an angel came. An angel. We don't need an angel. We need Jesus. That's what we need. Jesus. I don't want to meet an angel. When I can walk into the presence of the king. Hallelujah. We don't need no angel. Come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. You don't come before an angel. Hallelujah. People writing books about angels. Why do we write books about the Son of God coming into His presence, standing boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need? They believed an angel. Stir the water. The first one into the waters got magically healed. Da-da! Oh, have to wait for another year now for somebody to get healed. Until the angel decides to turn up and magically stir the water again. And then there'll be a mad struggle amongst us all to compete, to be the first one in the pool. That's what they believed. It was a myth. It was an urban legend. Nobody got healed. This wasn't a house of mercy. It was a house of misery. Jesus walked in that day, the king, because he loved a lame man that had been struggling for 38 years. And he got him back up on his feet. Listen to verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. You know what I get from reading that? Is this. Jesus really can do it that quick. He really can. He can do it that quick. He can dissolve problems that have been stalking us for years. He can take a 38-year problem that's crippled you, that's paralyzed you, that has bound you, that has characterized you and shaped your personality and formed you and condemned you. And in a word, He can come and say, get up from that fear, get up from that depression, get up from that insecurity, get up, uh, get up out of that strife, get up out of that anxiety, get up out of that stress. You're more than a conqueror. And when He tells you to get up, you'll jump up. And you'll find yourself picking up your mat. I love that little detail. Get up, pick up your mat, and go. Go from this place. Never come back. Your future, your destiny, your life now is not going to be characterized in this house of misery, this so-called house of mercy. He sets him free. He gets up, and there's no reason 
for him to leave his bed there because he's not going to be going back to lie down in that house any longer. When Jesus tells you to get up out of fear, I tell you something now, you will never lay your bed back down in fear, in depression. He'll set you free. Jesus commanded this man to do the impossible, something that he had never done. And because Jesus said it, the man could do it. And I know there's problems that stalk us and issues that try to hold us and bind us, and we cannot set ourselves free from. I tell you now, the reason why the Lord speaks this word to us today is because for many of us, He's going to tell us to get up. Come on, get up. That fear is not going to characterize you. That habit, that addiction, that shame that you hide away from everyone, whatever it is, there can be a million and one things, but the Son of God sets us free, hallelujah, so that we can be a picture of His glory, a picture of His goodness, a picture of His love, that we can be the embodiment of that freedom that He brings. We can be the embodiment of that life that He gives. We can be the recipients of that glory that He dispenses, just like this man was. The man got up, picked up his bed, because he realized that he wouldn't be going back to this place anymore. There were new locations to head for, a new life to live, a new future to enjoy. And for me, when I read this, I think of what Paul said to us, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything that was old, that once characterized this man, man's life in Bethesda, suddenly in the word of Jesus, passed away. It passed away. It went. It was gone. That's how he deals with our past. Only he can do it. Nobody else can. Only he is able to do this. He was set free. Now, there's so many other things that we could talk about from John chapter 5 this morning. We're not. We're going to close here. I'm just going to ask Daniel to come. He's going to going to play, but we're going we're gonna to pray this morning. We're going to lay hands. If you have a sickness in your body, we're going to anoint with oil. If you have a sickness within your body, we're going to pray and believe that Jesus is going to heal your body and set you free. It could be fear. It could be anxiety. It could be a situation that you just feel up to your waist in, a circumstance that you're wrestling with and you can, you can find no relief from. And you don't know any way out. The, the, the more you move, the harder it becomes. 
the more bound your life is. The Savior, the Savior. Just like he walked into the life of this man and lifted him up, he's going to lift He's going to lift you up. He's going to do something supernatural in your life. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to anoint you with oil. I'm going to ask Dale and Barry and Paul, Faye, Hugh at the back, Caroline. We're going to anoint you with oil. And the Lord's going to touch you. The Bible says he healed all who came to him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was our testimony this morning? We came to the Lord Jesus and he healed us. He healed us of every complaint, every complexity about life. He just relieved us of it. Well, we're going we're gonna to walk in accordance with his word this morning, not ours. He says, lay hands. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Whatever plagues you, whatever binds you, you don't have to stand up here and explain it. We all know because it's bound us too. We're all aware of how sin and sickness and disease, whatever it might be, we're all very aware in this room of how it causes the best parts of our life to perish. Jesus is here this morning to deal with anything that is causing us to perish. Whether it's in our personality, in our inner life, or whether it's in our body. Amen. I'm going to ask Faye to come. I was so blessed by this testimony that uh, Faye read. And I'll ask the musicians to come at the same time. Wayne is going to lead us in, uh, in song just before we pray. But uh, I was so blessed by this testimony just this week that Faye read. And it's, it's local to us. I won't say any more. But listen to this. Listen to this testimony. And as you listen to it, let your expectation rise. You do not have to have any strength or any power to deal with the issues and the circumstances that are in your life. You simply have to look to Him. Listen to Him. And as He speaks, He will lift you up and do what only He can do. Amen? Take Amen. a listen. So this is a testimony was shared um, by Nikki Gumbel when I was reading my one-year Bible this week, and it said this. Jean Smith told me her story. She was in her mid-60s. She came from Cumbran in South Wales. She had been blind for 16 years. She had a white stick and a guide dog named Tina. An infection had eaten away at her retinas and mirrors behind her eyes. They could not be replaced. She was in constant pain. Jean went to a local Alpha course. They had a day away to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. During this time, the pain left. She went to church the following Sunday to thank God. The minister anointed her with oil. As she wiped the oil away, she could see the communion table. 
God had miraculously healed Jean. She had not seen her husband for 16 years. She was surprised at how white his beard was. Jean had never seen her daughter-in-law before, and her six-and-a-half-year-old grandson used to guide her around the puddles to avoid her getting wet. He said to her, Who done that, Gran? She replied, Jesus made me better. I hope you said thank you, Gran. I will never stop saying thank you, she answered. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Jesus comes to Cumbran. Isn't it amazing? It really is. Jesus went to that woman in Cumbran, and we're believing this morning that Jesus is going to come to Newport, and He will get all the praise. No man, no superstar, no woman. There's nothing magical about anybody's hands here, but we just look to Jesus like that lady did, and we're going to believe that He is going to touch our bodies, heal our minds, and make all things new. Let's stand to our feet.